0: So why are we here to praise, man, I, Jack, when I ask questions, either give the wrong answer or don't answer. It's like, it's supposed to be like a, you know what you do, you, you're, you're the best, you're great. Um, yeah, uh, so we at Coast, we, we say we're a family church. Part of what we mean by that is we really believe that uh, the church, this church, should be like uh, a a cornerstone or a foundation of our life. Like, maybe not necessarily this church, but the church, the big C church. So that whether you come here or you go there or wherever you are, um, church should be like a, a central place in your life, in my life. that That's not, A, that's not a very popular notion in the world today. And, and B, there might be some question why anyone would think that's true. So a couple I think it was 2018 is the latest year we have data but every year the Pew research company they they find out why people go to church if they go to church and and Interestingly, like, church attendance in the United States of America hasn't decreased that much. It's just that the, what's, what's gone on is there's been like a winnowing process where the people who weren't really into it to begin with have now just given up entirely. Uh, but every year they, they ask everyone, you know, why do you go to church? And they give you some options, alright? And I think, do, uh, do I, Marilyn, do I have the, uh, the slide up there? I mean, I don't know if you can read it. Uh, but but basically 80% of people say that one of the most important things is growing closer to God. So for people who regularly attend worship services, 80% will say growing closer to God, very important. About 70% will say it's very important for their children to receive moral instruction. And so they come to the church, They they... During the week, they let their kids just do whatever the heck they want. And hopefully, on Sunday, they'll be taught like stuff like, you know, don't lie, uh, be a nice child, obey, stuff like that. And and that's why we go to church. That's 70% of people think that's very important. I think uh, 70% of people think it's very important to uh, learn something. So they come to church and they expect that they'll, uh, they'll, they'll be taught. The, the, the leader guy is going to get up there and basically give a message that informs them about stuff. And, and if that happens, they're like, good, that was great, that was a good church service. Uh, 70, another 70% say it's, very, um, it's extremely important that they, have a, uh, they come away with a positive feeling about uh, life and they're hopeful about life. And so what what will happen is, it, you know, people, you get ground down during the week. Your boss doesn't care about you. You have a terrible experience at work. And and the idea is you make the sacrifice, you get up on Sunday morning, and then by the end of it, when you leave, you feel good and you have some hope. There's like, you know what? I made it uh, and I got strength to go through another week. And that's why I go to church. The reason that it's difficult for people to answer the question, why we go to church, is because throughout scripture, it's kind of assumed that people will go to church. There's not like a section in the Bible where it's like, here's why you should go to church, or here's why you should go to the temple, here's why you should go to synagogue. There's different places where some advice is given about what church should look like, but there's really not a place in the Bible that, that literally says, this is why we do church. And yet, I do think that scripture answers that question. So we're entering a series, the series is called Don't Move the Lampstand." That might sound a little strange. I hope you'll understand it as we go through. The, 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 but just so you know, this week we're going to answer the why question. Why should church be a foundational part of your life? Oh, I forgot. 15% of people go to church to keep their spouse happy. <laughs> Especially during football season, right? It's like, well, I can DVR the 9 a.m. games. Just want her to be happy. Or, you know, I just want him to be happy. I want him to feel like I'm a good wife. Okay, whatever. Uh, 15%. But here, neither here nor there. All right. Why? Why is church important? And then as we go through the, next, the, the rest of the series, we're going to see the what's. Okay, if this is why we're doing church, if this is why it should be a foundational part of life, then what should that look like? And that's what we'll kind of go through. But so today we're going to read, and this might weird you out, I I guarantee you it's going to be a little bit of a a journey to get there. i ask you to stay with me because I think if you do, you're going to come away and be like, now I get it, in a way maybe you haven't before. And so let's read the Bible's seminal text on why to go to church. Exodus 25. For those of you who don't know, this is a very, very, very boring part of the Bible. This is, this is God telling Moses how to, how to make a, a sanctuary. We'll talk about it in a second. He tells Moses and the people of Israel, make an acacia wood table, three feet long, 18 inches wide, 27 inches high. Not that big. Pretty small. Cover it with pure gold and make a gold molding all around it. Make a frame around it that is four inches wide and a gold molding around the frame. Make four gold rings for the table. Fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. The rings that house the poles used for carrying the table should be close to the frame. So they're going to carry this thing around. We'll talk about that in a second. Make the poles from acacia wood and cover them with gold. The table should be carried with these poles. Now for the table, let's make its plates, dishes, jars, and bowls for pouring drink offerings. Make them of pure gold. Set the bread of the presence on the table so it is continuously always in front of me. Make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. The lampstand's base, branches, cups, flowers, and petals should all be attached. It should have six branches growing out from the sides. Three branches on one side and three branches on the other side of the lampstand. The whole thing should be one piece of pure hammered gold. Make it seven lamps and set up its lamps so that they direct their light in front of the lampstands. You should also make its tongs and fire pans out of pure gold. All of the items should be made from pure gold weighing one kikar. Uh, Kikar, best guess, that's 65 to 95 pounds of pure gold that they're going to grab from the Israelites to make all this stuff. See to it that you make them according to the blueprint for them that you were shown on the mountain. Okay, so what's going on? Uh, we're, we're at a place in Exodus where the people have left Egypt. They have not gotten to the land of Israel. So they're in the middle of the wilderness, and they're going to be traveling there for a very, very long time. And God wants them to have a place where he can meet with them. And it's going to be called the Tent of Meeting. Uh, I have a picture of the Tent of Meeting there it is. Uh, if you can see at the top right of that picture is the Ark of the Covenant. That's uh, the face melter from Indiana Jones. So uh, if you want to kill Nazis, you use the the Ark of the Covenant. It's the, it's the place of God's presence. On the top of this chest are two frightening angels called cherubs. Uh, we think of cherubs as like little naked babies. Uh, but cherubs are actually like warrior, mighty warrior battle angels. are like... Divine monsters. Anyway, uh, their their wings would would go out over the table, and and there would be a space above it. This is called the mercy seat, the bema seat. This is where God would sit as He meets with the people. Now you'll notice on on the picture that that there's a, a covering, like a, a sort of a like a a, like a drape of sorts, a veil kind of that separates this place God's throne from the rest. Um, an extension of that is on the next side of the drape. There's that little kind of pedestal thing, that's an altar. It's for, it's for incense. It's kind of like the physical presence of God, or it represents that. So when the priest kind of lights the incense, the smoke that comes up will kind of represent God's, you know, physical presence, even though God's not physically there. Now, that's what's going on at the, the back of the tent. In the front of the tent are two things. This is what's going to occupy our attention today. The first, what we just read about, is um, the, on the bottom right there, it's the table of the presence, And there on the table of the presence, you'll notice there's the poles there. All of this is going to be covered in gold and all of it's going to be holy. It shouldn't be touched by anyone except when they're cleaning it. And there's some special regulations for that. But this whole thing's portable. So it's like they can just, they can carry it wherever they go. They put the, the poles through. They do this to Ark of the Covenant. They do it with the, the table. They carry, I think, uh, the lampstand, but they, they, they port it around. Um, and then, uh, to the top left of the picture on the left side, that's the lampstand. Does anyone know the Hebrew for lampstand? right menorah yeah now you know uh so that's why they call it a menorah menorah is the hebrew word for lampstand and you'll notice uh we'll talk a little more about it but uh, next picture has kind of the top down view of a model you can see again there's that that veil that protects the ark of the covenant from any physical contact notice that the whole thing is uh very it's like covered and it's dark and it's quiet the the location of the of the the this tent will be kind of separate from the rest of the camp, and there's a, some big barriers around it. So when you enter it, it's pitch black and it's extremely silent. Now, going back to the text, notice a couple of things here. An acacia wood table, uh, notice that the table itself is going to be made out of wood, and they're going to cover it in gold. You notice this is a little different. Later on, it's going to talk about the lampstand being made of pure gold. Uh, that's interesting. Not exactly sure uh, what that means. i uh, will talk more about it in a second. Um, go on to the next slide. Here's a picture of what the table might have looked like. Uh, you can see then that it's covered in gold, and it's going to have a whole bunch of dishes on it. So it's it's kinda like uh it's kinda like that table that you have um that's off to the side with a nice china in it, right? And and you're using it for something special. Okay? Now let's go on in the text. What are they going to put on this table? Well, first, uh, you saw there. There were some dishes. When when Hebrew says plates, dishes, jars, and bowls, these are um, what, what it's trying to do is it's trying to explain that there's going to be a whole bunch of different pouring stuff. There's going to be a lot of different places for wine for drink offerings in, in the ancient world, and the, the Hebrew people would offer drink offerings, wine, red wine to to God, and and in order to do that, what would happen would be there would be two empty glasses up front and then they would take out the jars and the dishes, they would fill that with the wine and they would come in for the ceremony and they would use that jar to pour into uh, the glasses and then also we see the bread of the presence is on the table and it's always in front of me me being God of course set the bread of the presence on the table so it is always in front of me what the heck is going on here bread, wine in front of God now if you think about the the kind of the, the way this all is set up, you can see that if God's kind of in the back in the in the the on, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, then then people come in here, and in between people and God, right? In between the the meeting place, as it were, between people and God is this table, and then the lampstand that is going to eliminate it. Now What's happening? What, it, what, why, why does God command all this? This seems silly. One thing to notice, the bread is always in front of me, continuously. Uh, the Hebrew people, they, their breads, they stayed good for a long time, so they left them there, and there was always bread cakes on this table. No matter what time of day, no matter when it was, there was always bread cakes. Not wine, probably because r- wine goes bad when exposed to, to oxygen, air. And so, presumably, I think that if that weren't the case, if they were good at bottling the way that human beings are now, then God would have had like a bottle of wine there too. And I'll explain that in a second. But, uh, but uh, it's always there. Do I have my, my Christmas presents? No, oh, no, move that. That's, that's just there. It is. I got two presents this year. One from each of my daughters. On the right, there you can't see it very well, but it's it's a mug. The mug says "World's Best Dad." It's pretty cool. It's not true, but Alice thinks it is because she's very limited in her experience of fathers. It's funny whenever she goes uh, to like someone else's house to play, she comes back and she's like, "Dad, it was so weird, like um, recently she was had a play date with Brent uh, Brent Cheshire, and she's like, "Brent, he did all this fun stuff with us." I was like, "Are you going to leave now because i'm I'm busy. <laughs> I'm just kidding, <laughs> Kind of uh, and then on the left there is the uh, the tool pen. This is what Olivia got me. This pen has a compass on top, so you can know true north. It's got a, f- a like a, a flashlight. Uh, it has a screwdriver in it. All in a pen. It's fascinating. It's very cool. And to be honest with you, I was kind of, I was kind of pleased with these presents. Uh, as far as presents go, th- th- what was cool about them is that it, it was clear that the kids kind of know who I am. Alice knows that I don't talk until I get a g- cup of coffee in the morning. Like, I'm <clears throat> And Olivia knows that uh, I use pens a lot, and I love multi tools. She knows that I like to carry around, you know, the Leatherman, um, and and to play. And so they 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 were thoughtful, very very cool gifts. How would they get those gifts? My wife, no, kind of. Uh, so they, our our kids go here to Stony Brook, our friends and partners in ministry, Stony Brook Christian School, and every year Stony Brook has a uh, Christmas store. And what happens is they take over the barn and they put a whole bunch of stuff uh, and the kids come and they can purchase gifts for their friends and family. So, here's what happened. On a Wednesday morning in December, my wife took a $20 bill out of my money (laughs) and she gave it to Olivia. And then she took another one of my $20 bills and she gave it to Alice. And she said... Go buy us some presents. And I was like, what a waste of money. I mean, I love that mug, I love the pen. Cash is better. (laughs) It's a very interesting process when you have children. Uh, Children can't, you know, they can't create on their own, right? They have no value that they can generate, and so the value that it's a gift, right? We're like, oh, we want you to get us a gift, so we give them money, and then they go out and they get us a gift. It's like I'm, I'm getting basically I was trading a twenty dollar bill for a mug and a pen. Worst trade deal ever. That's Trump, right? Worst ever. Bad, bad deal. I got a bad deal. No, it was sweet. It was so I honestly I was I was like, "Oh, man, you guys totally that was cool that you It was clear that they didn't do what I did when I was a kid. <laughs> I was like, "Just give me the stupid ornament. Give it to my parents." And they thought about it. It was cool. It was really respected. It was nice. It was a good moment. But it was really ultimately from me. I gave them the money; they got the gift and brought it back to me. Notice that something very similar is happening inside the tent of meeting. Okay, uh, the, the the bread is always there; it's continuously there. Why is that? It's because God wants to remind Israel He's the ultimate source of provision and commitment. Like uh, the bread should remind them of the manna that He gives them when they're wandering in the desert. So He's like, I, "This is all; it's all from Me. I gave it to you." But at the same time, the bread's not actually gonna be there forever. It has to be replenished, and who does it? The priests, they kinda sneak it in there when they're not doing ceremonies. But so the priests in some ways are offering the bread to God, but it's a reminder that God, the, even though the priest brought the bread in, it's still a gift from God, that God is the one who's committed and, and gives provision. Similarly, uh, the wine would have been prepared or, rep- or replenished before the ceremony took place. The idea being that, that God's it probably represents uh, in the Old Testament the promise of feasting in the Promised Land. The idea that when they get to the Promised Land, there will be an abundance and overflow. The bread is provision, and the wine is like this is we're partying. This is great. It's awesome, right? And there, and and but again, the idea is that God's like, well, the the feasting comes from me. I'm providing it for you because I'm committed to you. But at the same time, you're bringing it to me and we're going to have a, a moment together where we share it. So what would take place is there would be these little mini sacrifices where the priests representing all of Israel would come in and they would share a meal with God. They would eat the meat, they would eat the uh, the, the, the bread cakes, they would drink the wine all while the incense is flowing. And it would represent kind of a, a sacrifice from Israel saying, God, we want to make sure everything's right with you because we've made mistakes and we want to thank you and honor you. And at the same time, it's God's gift to Israel saying, I provided everything for you. I'm committed to you. I love you. It's first thing in your note sheets. The bread and wine symbolize God's commitment and provision for us and our ongoing sacrifices to keep relations with God Right? And so when you think about it, you always think about the the gifts that your kids give you. Because whenever your kid gives you a gift, it's really a gift that you're sort of giving yourself. And similarly, God's receiving a sacrifice from Israel that God's provided. Now, that's the, uh, the, the table of presents. Let's uh, focus in on the text on the, the lampstand, the menorah. Make a lampstand of pure hammered gold, six branches growing out, three on each side. The reason menorahs, um, I, I've it, um, excluded this text, but the reason that menorahs often look like vines is because God also commands that there be flowers kind of attached to the lamps. and That's why, um, that's why they look the way that they look. Um, the key here is pure hammered gold. Uh, it probably what uh, God intends from this is that there's either a mixture um, or, well, it's hard to know, but the idea is if, if you did actually make a huge monstrous lamp out of gold, over time it would kind of collapse. And so the rabbis think that what the, the proper way to make a menorah is to use a, a purified copper and then to cover it with gold or a, something like that. I, I, I don't know how it all works out. But the idea of gold being it's separate, it's special, it's exciting, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Going on, there's your menorah. Those, yeah, the, the, you can see like the little flowers on there. I guess I, I'm not exactly sure what to make of them. Some of you Bible nerds might know they're they're like al- almond blossoms. Uh, I think it might just be for ornament, but there might be some symbolism. I'm not exactly sure. Now, what's going to be? The, what's the point of the menorah? So the menorah is there. There's seven uh, candles, seven lamps, um, probably indicating like. Seven meaning completion or perfection, holiness, something like that. And, and, and the key here, though, is that they're going to direct their light onto the front of the lampstand. Now this should strike us as a little odd. Why is it that they're not aimed at the altar? Why is it that they're not, because remember remember the way that they're supposed to, remember how this thing's set up, God's in the back, right, and then here's this table, here's the lampstand, lampstand's supposed to illuminate the table, that seems a little bit odd. What exactly is going on? Well, the first thing is the way it's set up, uh, you can learn from, by thinking about Pixar. Have you seen the uh, Pixar, the Pixar lamp? Uh, Luxo Jr. is his name story behind Luxo, 1986, uh, John Lasseter, the uh, future president of Pixar, invented this little short animated clip about a dad and a, and a son set of lamps, and they were playing ball and whatnot, and that eventually, it turned into the Pixar uh, logo. It was a huge success, and made a ton of money, and the reason is, is that at the time, in 1986, no one had ever used a computer algorithm to generate uh, light and shadow, okay? What Lasseter did is he actually programmed the 3D computer graphics so that it accurately handled the way that a source of light would create um, shadows when it interacted with other solids. And so you can see it in that picture uh, where the, the, well you can't, you can kind of see it, but that's because we the bulb's not great. But the X actually has a shadow going off to the side. And that's because in the computer model, the X has space, and the computer model understands that when light comes, it creates shadows. So in 1986, when he released this, Lasseter won tons and tons of awards because he had accomplished in a computer what the Israelites are accomplishing in the Tent of Meeting. If we can see the... Um, the next one there. This is a, a kind of a life sized image of what it might have looked like. Now, the problem here is that it, normally it would be, there would be a, we wouldn't be able to see anything because we're looking basically through a tent flap. Uh, but what would happen was the menorah was backed up against the tent flap so that the light would bounce off the back and it would reflect forward. And that's why they're directly apart. So that the, this is basically the, the ancient world, the, the ancient version of having like a spotlight. Marilyn, we, do we have any spotlights here? Why don't we just play with that? Just see, see if we can do some stuff. Can you do that? Are you like, do, like, can you illuminate me, for example? Just like make me show up. Oh, oh, they're out? Oh. Huh. That's a shame. Are you saying that we have a mostly broken and totally substandard lighting system? Well, it was really good when they put it in in 95. What, what happened? Huh. That's a shame. It sure would be nice to have a good lighting system in a place of worship. Interesting, Maryland. and, and, and I'm not joking here, Did you, this is their place of worship, and they had the best lighting system that they could provide in the ancient world. Huh. I guess God deserved it. That's cool. you uh, have access to some free LED lighting, motorized lighting system, let me know because uh, that one's out, that one's out, that one's out, that one's out. All of those are out. And we can't move them and they can only all go on and off at the same time. So they're, we're doing great. Anyway... This is the ancient version of that where the light would bounce off the back and then, and then illuminate the, the table of presence, illuminating the bread and the wine. It was like like a spotlight. It was a spotlight onto the bread and the wine. And that's the uh, next thing in your note sheets, I think. The purpose of the lampstand is to illuminate God's, commu- uh, God's commitment and our sacrifices. I want you to imagine you're a priest or one of the people of Israel hearing about this. What you know, you see this tent, you walk into the tent, remember it's pitch black, the only thing, it's, the only light is the, from the menorah, and it's shining, it's like a beam, a spotlight onto the bread and the wine right there on the table. You go, and then of course there's like shadows and it's kinda of wild. It's like there's smoke in the back, sort of representing God. It's it's dead quiet. The the, the lights flickering because it's you know, it's like and so there's this, this kind of mystery and awe. And then you go and you and you you break the bread and you and you eat before God. You bless it and you eat, and then you you drink the wine uh, with your sometimes there'd be multiple priests, sometimes just one, all before God, in the presence of God, sharing this meal, saying to God, We're sorry, we love you, and God's saying, I love you and I provide for you. This is from uh, Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. He took a cup, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. Which is poured out for many. So that their sins may be forgiven. I want to ask uh, the Connect team and uh, Lloyd to come forward. Um, Estella to, to come. We're going to be celebrating communion in a second. It's not a coincidence. It's not, um, it's not just random that Jesus invited the disciples uh, to a meal. It's not random that he picked up bread and he picked up wine and made himself the bread and the cup. And if you remember, you remember the, the point here, the purpose. It, there, in between us and God is this meal, right? In between the priest and God is the bread and the wine, And the the, the priest comes in and this this bread and wine, it's an offering to God saying, God, we love you. But it's, it's been provided by God himself. God's the one who made it possible and gave it. In the same way, Jesus is God's gift to us that we in return offer back to God saying, God, we can't, we're not good enough. God, we do want you to be glorified. And we can't do it. And so we're giving this gift to you. We're sharing this with you, even though it comes from you. Like the bread and wine of presence, Jesus is God's gift to us that becomes our ongoing sacrifice to him. Let's celebrate communion together. This is the gift uh, from God to us that we sacrifice back and that he accepts in which he overlooks sin and gives us new life let's take the body and the blood together Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of the bread and the cup. The meal that we share uh, with you. The Savior who provides our ongoing sacrifice and who's a sign of your ongoing commitment to us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he brought your life to us and brings us to you. In his name we pray, amen. But what about the lamp? The priest, you know, walks in. And there's a spotlight on the bread and the cup. Focusing all the attention on this mediation between us and God. I want to share um, from the book of Revelation. This is John's vision um, about uh, things that were present to him and also things that are future. He says, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of them I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, in, in John's vision, he's actually having a, a recreation of the, of, you know, the the ten of meeting. It's like it's happening over again. Only this time, instead of a lamp um, highlighting, you know, the the bread and the cup, instead there's seven lamps, and they're all illuminating the one in the middle of them, who's Jesus. And John recognizes; he understands that these lamps, that these lampstands, they represent something. And he says they, they each one represents a church. And those seven churches are churches that are contemporary to John in the first century in in what's now modern Turkey. Uh, but they also represent the future of the church. They represent all of the I- expressions of, of, of the church history as we go into the end. And they, and they represent individual churches. Like there's some churches there that are they're on fire for the Lord. And, and those are part of, of the church. And then there's other per- ch- uh, churches that are just lazy and they're bored. Uh, but whatever they are, the, the, every single one of these lamps represents a church. And these churches, their job is to function like the menorah. They're supposed to highlight Jesus. They're supposed to illuminate Jesus. They're a spotlight on Jesus. Marilyn, can you uh, turn off the lights all at once since we can't do them individually? All of them. This is Jesus. And this is us. The whole purpose of human life is to do this. To make this the center, this the highlight, to show it off, to to illuminate, to shine on it. So, we'd better not move the lampstand. There's a lot of things that we can get caught up in church. We can get caught up with um, programs and small groups and potlucks and events. We can get caught up with having um, the coolest sermons that teach us the most and the most intense, passionate worship that makes us feel the best. We can get caught up with a lot of stuff in church. We can be focused on whether or not our lighting is great and our pews are perfect. We can get caught up with, you know how holy we are and how awesome our lives look to the people around us. And the danger is the danger is that we get focused on those things, and we go from being this to this. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at what Scripture has to say about not moving the lampstand. About making sure that this church and we as a community are living and praying and loving in such a way that we do not move the lampstand. That whatever happens with our lights and our pews and our small groups and our Bible studies and our events. Our meals together, our friendships, the way we raise our kids, our marriages, the way that we sing and praise, the way that we pray, that no matter what happens with any of them, the way that we evangelize and share Jesus, the way that we try to serve outside of these places, that we will not move the lampstand. And that Coast Bible Church will be a place that shines a light on Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, I just ask that we can be the light, the lampstand that we can really live that out, that, that just as the lampstand, the menorah, shone on the bread and the wine in the ancient Near East, that we can shine a light on Jesus, who is our bread and wine. That we can illuminate him first and foremost. We don't get caught up in all of the nonsense and the little things this year in 2020, but instead we'll be focused on that big thing and that all the little things will be supporting and, and making that big thing happen, that the big thing lighting up Jesus will lead to all the little things. Animate them. Make them real. Give them substance and meaning. God, you have made us your lampstand and I pray that we will not Move it. In Jesus' name, amen.